you would, open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law, until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You may remember that when we started looking at the Beatitudes, I made the comment that this is where I would have started the Sermon on the Mount, because I think these verses are really critical. They're key to what, what Jesus is saying. But I hope, as we have seen in our series, Jesus begins at exactly the right place, establishing the character of those who belong to him, beginning with the fact that they are always in need of his grace. If we do not start with the fact of our need, our desperate need, of God's grace, then all is lost. Then we are talking about something entirely different than what Jesus has in mind. Here we are at this critical passage. Just a side note, as one reads the Gospels, but particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, we must recognize, we cannot forget, that Jesus is to be seen within a context, a Jewish context, the Old Testament context, we see this in Matthew's account in which we are told of his ancestry, which goes all the way back to Abraham, in his fulfilling of Old Testament prophecies, in his birthplace in Judea. He's born of a Jewish mother. He quotes the Old Testament, especially in his time being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. We find that the one who came to announce his arrival, John the Baptist, came in fulfillment of Old Testament scripture. John came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus began preaching in Galilee, he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says, here is the gospel of the kingdom. And this is what we find in the Sermon on the Mount. But the question that we need to deal with, and I hope to answer at least in part today, is did Jesus come to start a new religion? Is this something new, or is, a, is it a variation on Judaism? I think this is a question that most people get wrong, and many of them are Christians. And if you get this wrong, then it allows you to make Jesus into whomever you want him to be, and whatever he says, you can uh, interpret it to mean whatever you want it to mean. It allows people to do as they please, to see themselves as the supreme authority as to what is right. And if you challenge that authority, then you are seen as intolerant. When Jesus came into the world, there were three major schools of Judaism. The Sadducees, who controlled the temple system. The Pharisees, who pretty much controlled the synagogue system. And the Essenes, who basically set a pox on both of your houses and went out to live in the middle of the desert. Should we add a fourth Judaism with the teaching of Jesus? Well, Jesus, I think, wants to set the record straight in our text today. The two key words here are abolish and fulfill. 
Um, but before we get to that, let's, let's make sure that we understand what Jesus is dealing with, what it is that he came to fulfill and not to abolish, the law and the prophets. This is an expression that describes the Old Testament. If you look in chapter 7, verse 12, in what is traditionally called the golden rule, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And in that famous confrontation uh, before Jesus was crucified that week, the Passion Week, he is challenged and an expert in the law, somebody who knows the law, asked Jesus, how do you understand the law? And Jesus said, there are two great commandments, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So what does this mean, the law and the prophets? Well, the law refers to the first five books of the Old Testament also known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. The prophets refers to the rest of the Old Testament, which includes the historical writings. Um, we have also the wisdom writings and the prophetic books. You may notice, if you're paying attention and being careful, that Jesus doesn't say law and prophets, he says law or prophets. I don't think he's pointing to a division here. I, I think what he's saying is you need to see them as a whole. You shouldn't say, well, the law is about ethics and um, the prophets are about predicting what's gonna happen in the future. No, there is a unity. The prophets preached, and what did they preach? They preached the law. They were calling God's people to come back to the way he told them they should live. The law is the basis for all that we find in the Old Testament. The historical books tell us how people lived according to law or more often failed to live according to the law. In the poetic books, we have the Psalms singing the law. And in the wisdom books, we have them thinking through the law. And then we come in the prophetic books, they are preaching the law. So we should, as we begin, recognize that Jesus saw the Old Testament as a unit. Didn't call it the Old Testament, he called it the law and the prophets. They are united, they are in agreement as, a, as uh, to their message. So, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. We'll spend more time on fulfill, but let's deal with abolish first. Um, by abolish, we understand Jesus to mean to annul or to make invalid or to repeal. In the literal sense, it means to deconstruct, to take something apart. So the prophecies about the temple, the word that is used is abolished in Greek. In English, it comes out different. I tell you the truth, Jesus told the disciples, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. That is, torn down, deconstructed, abolished. And then when he stood on trial before the Sanhedrin, this fellow said, that is Jesus said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. I am able to abolish the temple and rebuild it. In terms of a system, the abolishing of a system means that you get rid of it. People live their lives according to a particular way and you simply get rid of it. Now there were those who thought that when the Messiah came, he would change all the rules, if you wish. It would be a change of moral principles, a relaxation of the claims of justice, a greater license of indulgence in things hitherto forbidden. In other words, the law is very, very strict, and when Messiah comes, he'll sort of loosen up and everyone will get to do what they weren't able to do before. This is simply not the case. Well, okay, 
if that's not the case, then what is the relationship of Jesus to the Old Testament? It was to fulfill the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. But what does that mean? There are different opinions, different interpretations. One is to put an end to, to fulfill it, that's it, wrap it up, it's done. To replace, to supplement or add to it, to obey the law, to actively that Jesus himself would obey the law in a way that only he could because he was without sin, to enforce the law or to confirm and restore it. And we're gonna go through this and you might be wondering here, why, why go through all this? because this is crucial to our understanding of the Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel of Matthew, the mission of Jesus, the entire New Testament, and the relation between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me just say, and I'll probably say it again in a few minutes, I think many Christians would be more than happy to only have the New Testament. Um, that the Old Testament, it's for a lot of people, it's sort of like war and peace. They wanna be able to say they've read through it once, but you know, that's it. Um, but the idea that it has importance, I think for a lot of people, no. It's Jesus, the Gospels, the New Testament, that's all that they hold to. No. Scripture is the Old Testament and the New Testament and they come together and they are in agreement. And this is what Jesus is saying as he preaches the Gospel of the Kingdom of Heaven. So one view is that it, Jesus came to put an end to the Old Testament. Um, that by his coming, the law, the Old Testament law was made invalid. So for example, we no longer do sacrifices because Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. And because of that, that part of the law is done away with. Um, but Jesus is speaking of the entire Old Testament, not just sections of it. And so I don't think this interpretation will do. Some would say that Jesus came to replace the law and the prophets that the law, of the, pro the law and the prophets are really the law of, the, of the, the letter of the law, if you wish, and Jesus comes to sort of uh, cancel that out and to speak of something that is the law of the spirit, not the letter of the law. The new Torah, if you wish, the law of Jesus, replaces Mosaic law, the old Torah. Um, They see Jesus as being an Old Testament prophet, in essence, because the Old Testament prophets preached attitude as opposed to a moral code. The problem with this is that for both Jesus and the prophets, the law was the basis of their message. If you don't have the law, if you don't have Torah, then they have nothing to say. So this interpretation will not do. Some would argue that what Jesus means that only he can obey the law. He is without sin. It was his intention to keep the law. He was gonna live by the law and he alone could keep it perfectly. And once he does that, then that's it, it's fulfilled. And in a sense, again, we can abolish it. We can set it aside because Jesus has obeyed it. Uh, yes, Jesus kept the law perfectly, but this isn't what he's talking about. What's really important in the Sermon on the Mount is to recognize that Jesus isn't talking about himself, his life. He's talking about his message, that is the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Generally speaking, when Matthew writes of Jesus fulfilling things, he's talking about himself as a person, that Jesus fulfills these predictions that were made in the Old Testament. Um, 
Every shadow, every type, every analogy, every prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. Um, but that's not what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. He is talking about the gospel. A fourth interpretation is that Jesus came to supplement or to add to the law. Uh, he completes it, if you wish, that the law is sort of lacking something and Jesus comes to sort of flesh it out. That the Old Testament, the law, is seen as dealing with behavior, outward behavior, and Jesus comes to talk about the heart. That the Old Testament is, if you wish, heartless, and Jesus comes and talks about our hearts in the New Testament. But what are we to make of Old Testament passages like what we find in Psalm 19? The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Apparently the heart does, is covered in the Old Testament. Um, David wrote, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And if you think about it, if the Old Testament is only about external behavior, how is it that Jesus can criticize the Pharisees and the teachers of the law for hypocrisy if in fact it's all a matter of externals? If there's no internal aspect to it, then you can't be a hypocrite. There can't be any discord between what's inside and what's outside. But the fact is the Old Testament did speak of inner reality, inner spirituality, and Jesus is not being unfair when he condemns the Pharisees for their, being, their actions not reflecting what in fact is inside of themselves. So they are like graves that have dead men's bones. That's the inner spirituality, it's death. And then they're outwardly they're painted white, they look like they're very religious people. The Old Testament did speak of the heart. Jesus is not adding to the Old Testament what he is doing is giving us a proper understanding of the Old Testament, especially the law. And at this point, we need to talk about something that's sort of the elephant in the room that we tend to ignore, and that is that people see the contrast between the New Testament and the Old Testament as being love versus law. That in the Old Testament, you have these strict laws which are heartless and loveless, if you wish, and then Jesus comes in and he talks about love. But what are we to make of the fact that Jesus said this and his opponents agreed as well? That there are two great commandments, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbors yourself. By the way, these are both taken from the Old Testament. To love the Lord your God is from Deuteronomy and to love your neighbors yourself is from Leviticus. Jesus didn't make this up. This is from the Old Testament law. In Luke 10, when Jesus is confronted by an expert in the law, that is someone who knows Mosaic law, Jesus asks him, how do you read the law? And he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're exactly right. But this expert wanted to justify himself. So he said, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. So the Old Testament isn't loveless. But I think people like to think that, that Jesus came to speak of love and not of law. So many today imagine law, love to be the highest virtue, which it is, but then they contrast it to the law, which they see as lacking love, which it does not. 
Because many people see love as higher than the law, they in fact do things that the law says they should not, they transgress the law, and they call it love. In our time, I think love has come to be equated with sex. It's been sexualized to the point that one might argue that a deep and profound and intimate love of necessity will lead to sexuality. Sexual activity. I would just say this is ridiculous because when one considers the love you have for your parents or for your children, the love of a friend, and here then the culture would say, well, there, there could be sex there. But sex has no part in these relationships, our relationship with our parents and with our siblings or with our children. But love in our time has come to be used to describe sexual relations which are contrary to God's law, and thus they are accepted as okay. After all, it is love, we are told. And the church is told it must not speak against such things, because they are based on law and because on love and because if you do you are seen as intolerant. You may have read recently of a couple in New Mexico. The woman is 36 and the man is 19. They are now in a sexual relationship but the courts have forbidden them to continue this relationship. The age thing might seem a bit strange. She's 36, he's 19 so that might be a little weird but the reality is she is his mother. She gave him up for adoption, and they reconnected later, and as they tell the story, they began kissing, and one thing led to another, and they entered into a sexual relationship. They want to raise awareness of what they call gen uh, genetic sexual attraction relationships. What are we to say to this? What are we to say? One of the tired, in my opinion, arguments seeking to legitimate legitimate homosexual relations is people say Jesus never said anything about this. Jesus never spoke against it. Well, Jesus also never spoke against incest. So are we in fact, see, and this is where the church has dropped the ball because it has ignored the Old Testament and their arguments against certain things, certain sexual activities is that's gross, that's weird. There's something wrong with these people. That is not an appropriate argument. The argument is, this is what God says in his law. And in our passage today, Jesus says, this is scripture. He came to fulfill and to confirm it as scripture. By the way, another side note, people are like, well, how come Jesus never spoke about this, but Paul does? And, and people say, well, it's just because Paul's a cranky old man and you know, never got married or whatever. Um, the reality is Jesus was speaking in a Jewish context. Jesus was a Jew. He knew the law. His listeners knew the law. Paul's speaking to Gentiles. They don't know the law. He has to tell them, this is what God has said. And that's why you hear certain things in Paul uh, that you never hear in Jesus. You hear Paul talking about uh, a couple where one is a believer and the other one is not a believer. And Jesus never addresses this issue. So, Jesus stood firmly in a tradition of Old Testament law. Okay? He did not come to start something new. He did not come to start a new religion. Many people, though, act as though he did. And this allows them to ignore the whole Old Testament. Or if the, not the whole, that, that's, 
maybe that's too much. There are certain parts that if they don't like it, then they can say, well, that's Old Testament. I'm going to stick with Jesus in the New Testament. So what did Jesus mean by fulfill? He came to confirm as truth. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus goes to be baptized by John the Baptist. And if you think about it on the face of it, this is kind of weird. Because the baptism that John was doing was to show that someone had repented of their sins. And here comes a perfect man. Why would this person want to be baptized? He has no sins to be baptized from, if you wish. So John's like, I, you know, I can't do this. And Jesus tells him, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. What Jesus is doing is saying, John, what you're doing is absolutely the right thing to do. And I'm confirming that by being involved in this. I want you to baptize me. And so John consented. When Jesus, after that, was in the wilderness and he answered Satan by quoting scripture, did he not confirm as scripture every word that comes out of the mouth of God? The doctrine that Jesus preaches confirms, it validates, it ratifies, it reestablishes that the law and the prophets and scripture and the Old Testament, they are truth. They are true. And what is the truth that they convey? What is the Old Testament about? It's a bunch of stories, a bunch of poems. I mean, what is the Old Testament about? They're all pointing in the same direction. They're pointing to Jesus. So Jesus says, law and prophets, these are scripture. These are truth. And they point to him. See, in the Old Testament, we are told about God. It is a revelation of God. We learn that he is the creator. We also learn of him as the one who redeems his people in the Exodus, the one who sustains them through the wilderness. And you go through the Old Testament, God is revealed to us. Now that we come to the New Testament and God comes as a man, should there not be agreement between what was said in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Absolutely. And this is critical, this is key. So Jesus says, listen, I'm here to confirm law and prophets, that is truth. That is the revelation of God himself. In this sermon, and we will look at this, the Lord willing, next week, Jesus focuses more on the law than he does the prophets. If you look at verse number 19, the least of these commandments, and then beginning in verse number 20 to the end of the chapter, Jesus deals with moral issues and how the law, he doesn't expand the law, he simply, the law has been contracted uh, by various schools of Judaism, and Jesus is like, no, that's, that's not what the law said. And he explains what the law says. There are those who have argued that the law is divided into moral law, you know, the, the, the good things, the bad things, you know, the good things you should do, the bad things you shouldn't. Then there's civil law, the law just for Israel as a nation, and then the ceremonial law, sacrifices and all that. Um, there's a problem with this. First of all, the scripture never speaks in those terms. In fact, nobody did until Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century. But also verse number 18, it mentions the least stroke, you know, the smallest letter. Jesus sees the law as a whole, and, it's a, and he says, 
I confirm it as scripture. I validate it, I establish it. It is the Old Testament. It all points to him and his teaching. The law points to Jesus. Think of all the sacrifices. What, what was that about? I mean, if you ever read through Leviticus, it's like, this is rather tedious. I mean, what's with all the blood? Points to Jesus and his death on the cross. And the prophets do as well. Jesus reaffirms them and says, this is the way my people are supposed to live. Our behavior as those who belong to the kingdom of heaven is to reflect who he is, and he is, he is revealed in scripture. We shouldn't see Jesus as merely the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. A lot of people spent a lot of effort in showing all the Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus. The reality is the whole business, all of it, points ahead to Jesus. So the coming of Jesus and his gospel confirms the truth of the Old Testament. How true is the Old Testament, by the way? The Law and the Prophets. If you look at verse number 18, I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Begins with a solemn affirmation, I tell you the truth. It is actually a Hebrew word that is in the Greek text here, amen. Um, it means in truth. We usually find it at the end of statements or prayers in which we agree with things. And Jesus says, after solemnly affirming this, the extent of the validity of the Old Testament is until heaven and earth disappear. And when will this happen? At the end of time. So the time frame is as long as the earth exists, the word of God is valid. It is scripture. Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law. In Hebrew, it is, it is yod. In Greek, it is iota. Each alphabet has its smallest letter. For us in English, it would be an I. And what is Jesus saying? It's the whole Old Testament is important. We can't pick and choose and say, I like that part, I don't like that part. I'm going to keep this and I'm going to ignore that. One writer put it this way. The whole of Hebrew scripture is important, even its apparently unimportant parts. Therefore, read it with respect and be prepared to obey even its most insignificant commands. And how long will it have this authority? Until everything is accomplished. And when will that be? Well, Jesus has already told us, till heaven and earth disappear. At this point, we might begin to start getting nervous because it seems that Jesus is going to be preaching legalism. It certainly might seem that I'm preaching legalism by pointing to Old Testament law. No, the Old Testament points to Jesus and Jesus as the Messiah comes and he preaches the gospel of the kingdom. The key is grace. Because one of the things we learn in the Old Testament is that apart from the grace of God, you cannot keep his commandments. And when we come to the Sermon on the Mount and we read these Beatitudes, we are, yeah, we know, we cannot have these characteristics apart from the grace of God. Only divine grace makes this possible. What Jesus does in this critical passage is confirm to us that the Old Testament is scripture. It has abiding authority 
and it will until he returns. I think it's safe to say that what Jesus is saying is that of all the Old Testament, all of it is important, even the parts we call, consider least. And the Lord willing, we'll look at this next week. What is the least, you know, what is the least part of the Old Testament? And also there are consequences to our actions regarding the Old Testament. Let's, let's bring this to a close. Why is Jesus so hung up on the law and the prophets? Why is he so serious about this? Well, the Old Testament is scripture. And secondly, the Old Testament points to him. One could argue without the Old Testament, Jesus has no validity. We can't talk about Messiah. That's an Old Testament word. That's an Old Testament concept. So without the Old Testament, Jesus cannot exist. Okay. Simply put, the Old Testament is important. It is not to be neglected. It is not to be disobeyed. And what we hear in the Sermon on the Mount fulfills Old Testament revelation. If we ignore the Old Testament, if we show disdain for the Old Testament, if we disobey it, if we treat with disrespect the Old Testament, then we have, in fact, done the same thing to the gospel. I think we like to see the gospel as a special thing that's sort of suspended somewhere. We don't see it as connected anywhere. The good news means nothing if you don't have the Old Testament. And Jesus, I mean, who is Jesus except sort of a nice guy who said nice things and ended up, you know, paying for it with his life? unless we see him as the fulfillment, as the one who confirms this is what the Old Testament is about. I'm convinced that if you have no respect for the Old Testament, despite any protest to the contrary, you have no respect for the New Testament. You can't have new if you don't have old. And in what, as I said, if I were preaching the Sermon on the Mount, this is where I would have started. Jesus knows far better than I do. But this is critical. This is the foundation that we need to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and his teaching. The gospel cannot exist apart from the law and the prophets. The Lord willing, we'll continue to look at this next Sunday. Let's pray together. Father, perhaps it is the struggle that we have in our own hearts that when we think of commandments, decrees, statutes, rules, immediately we imagine that no love can be present, that either one keeps rules or one loves. And the fact that we are commanded to love you with all our heart, and we are to love our neighbors ourselves, these are commandments, somehow seems to go past us. I think it is human nature, but certainly in our time, to really want to get rid of all rules, to rather be guarded, guided by one's heart, by one's emotions, by one's love. 
And so when we hear Jesus speaking about the law, it makes us uncomfortable. By your Spirit, help us to see that the revelation of yourself is a whole, and the Old Testament and the New Testament, and supremely in the person of your Son. And when God in the flesh came and lived among us, he preached the good news. I think that we may struggle with the idea of being right and being loving at the same time. Oftentimes, we're we're presented with a choice. We could either be right or we could love people. We see this in Jesus, that he was right and he loved people deeply. Forgive us when we do not love people as we should. Forgive us when we choose not to do what is right because we are afraid. By your grace, may we love our neighbors ourselves, and may we do what is right. I thank you that you've brought us together today to worship you in spirit and in truth. May your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place. Pray for Gwen and Nia Rose that you would watch over them and give them strength. We thank you for the years that you've given to our dear sister Lonnie. We thank you for her faithfulness and your faithfulness in her life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.